Welcome back to another edition of the Educational AD Podcast. We couldn't do these without the incredible support of our sponsors, and we want to start by saying thank you to all of them. First, thanks to our diamond sponsor, Varsity Brands, including BSN, Varsity Spirit, and Herc Jones. Varsity Brands, elevating student experiences in sport, spirit, and achievement. We also want to thank our platinum sponsors, Ephesus Lighting, innovating a brighter future at every level. Gilman Gear, always a step ahead. Camp Mobile, where teams communicate better. Hometown Ticketing, simple and easy online ticketing. And Vital Signs, bring student achievements to life. Thanks to all of our great sponsors. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Educational AD. Our guest today is a good friend, Becky Moran. She's a certified master athletic administrator, and she's the director of athletics at Round Lake High School in Round Lake, Illinois. She's also extremely active in her state as well as the national organization. Becky, thanks so much for being on the program. Thanks for having me, Jake. Well, as uh, you know, the life of an athletic director these days is, uh, is very busy. So we're going to jump right into it. We always like to let our listeners uh, learn a little bit about our guests. So tell us uh, where you grew up, where you went to school and college, and, and maybe how uh, your love of athletics led to that first teaching and coaching job. Sure. So um, my whole life, um, as far back as I can remember, I participated in sports, um, team sports. It's not unusual for an athletic administrator to have participated in sports. Um, and so that led me to, in high school, I participated in four different um, sports. I played volleyball, basketball, softball, and soccer in high school. Um, and people ask a lot because Illinois schools don't have four seasons. At least we do this year, but not usually. Um, and um, when I was a junior, we got soccer for the girls' side, and so I started participating in that instead of softball, um, and actually ended up playing soccer in college um, for two years, and then got an opportunity to stay on and coach um, soccer at the school that I was going to, and that led to kind of my love and passion for coaching, um, and then just that I kind of switched gears from player to coach at that point. So I was pretty young when I started out coaching, um, and then just fell in love with it. So I went to school. Um, I grew up north of Chicago. Um, I've lived here my whole life. I went to school um, in southern Wisconsin, my undergrads in sports management from the University of Wisconsin Parkside. Um, and in that, I had to do an internship um, as part of that uh, program. And I ended up in a high school athletic department. And that kind of just, I fell in love. Um, I worked with a great athletic administrator, um, Al Janulis who kind of turned me on to what it was like to work on the other side of sport, um, the kind of the behind the scenes stuff that we know we do every day that until you get into it, you don't really know goes on. So that's kind of where that path took me um, to my career. Well, th tell us about the, the transition from teaching and coaching to full-time athletic director. 
Sure. So um, like I mentioned, I do have a non-traditional path to this seat. Um, I, I actually didn't teach. So my first position out of college was an assistant athletic director and I was coaching. Um, and so I did that role for um, about three years out of college. I coached um, for a few years while I was in college. So my coaching background is mainly while I was in college and then those first couple of jobs and then took a position as an assistant athletic director that um, in the school I was in would not allow me to coach. So I stepped away from coaching at that time. I'd been coaching for about 10 years um, and became focused more on the administrative side um, in the new role that I had in that school. And then I did that for a couple of years and that then led me to the seat I'm in. Um, I am, you know, been in a, in a full-time position as an athletic administrator. Um, this is my, going into my fifth year now, um, but 18th year in high school athletics, so. In our job, we talk about the importance of uh, leadership and mentors. Um, mm -hmm. Who have been some of the mentors, uh, either coaches you had or bosses that you worked for that you can still hear their voice uh, in your head as you work with your coaches and your kids today? Um, and you had mentioned in the what you'd sent me. So my parents um, actually had played a big role in me um, and shaping me and molding me into the adult that I am today. My dad, um, got, I get my work ethic from my dad, um, certainly did what he could to provide for us as a family. And my mom, I get the helping everybody. My mom was a stay-at-home mom, but anytime the school needed something, my mom was that person. Um, I cut Campbell's soup labels when we used to do those things in schools. Uh, right. She ran market day, she did Girl Scouts, you know, you name it, my mom was doing it. Um, and so just that helping side of me, I think comes from my mom. Um, in terms of career, um, I mentioned Al earlier, I've had some really great um, athletic administrators that I've been able and been fortunate to work with. Uh, Daryl Nance would be one, John Van Fleet in Illinois would be another. Um, I was fortunate enough to, um, I didn't mention my master, I have a master's in athletic administration that I got at Ohio University. And when I was going through the program, Dr. John Olson was one of the professors. So I was able to learn from him um, and he's actually um, one of the reasons I got involved so young in the NIAAA. So I would say those would be the individuals. You know, that's something that, um, you know, we hear a lot of, um, you know, we have, I, I think, some young athletic directors just getting started in their career. And they'll look at uh, someone, you know, let's say, you know, like us that uh, we're active at state and, and we've been given the opportunity to uh, work at nationals. Talk a little bit about that path, how uh, you know you were able to get involved early, and how you're you know staying involved uh, now. Sure. So I think um, that early on involvement had a lot to do with um, my inability to say no, um, and so <laughs> I um, I was everywhere um, when I first started out. I I'm a I want to know. I want to learn things. I want to be great, and so I want I looked to others for that information. Um, and the first, I think, five conferences I went to and the first national conference I went to, I took an LTC class in every single session. Um, what can I do to get better at what I'm trying to do and, and put forward programs for, for kids? And so as I continue to do that inside of our state, um, obviously people notice that. Not everybody takes classes in every single session. You know, 12 hours of LTC at a, you know, 30-hour conference is a lot. Um, and so... Um, I think by just being around and being available, and then when somebody asked to, if I wanted to be involved, I said yes. Um, and I can tell you, I was nervous as heck when they first started putting me in front of people, um, you know, people that I had looked up to and learned from. Um, the first class I ever taught in leadership training, uh, they went around the room, and I want to say there was about 
two or three people in the room of about 35 that had been in education longer than I had been alive at that point. And here I was teaching LTC 508. Um, so nothing like jumping right in with two feet, um, but for those of you who know me, uh, that's what I do. Um, and so um, from there, I was asked to join their professional development team and be a coordinator for leadership training. That was the title at the time. I now in Illinois oversee all professional development that happens inside of our organization and for our association at our conferences. I run our new ADs workshop every summer for our new ADs in Illinois. Um, I've run our state conference before. So I think, like I said, I think it's my inability to say no, um, but I truly love giving back to athletic administrators um, and then, you know, switching gears to that national level and how that happened. Um, I, I thank Dr. John Olson for that. Um, I, you know, was at a state coordinators meeting. They were looking for somebody that could teach um, LTC 719, which is a leadership course. It had just split from 709, the communication course, and they needed new instructors for it. Um, and somehow I got put in a, a, into that class with Mark Armstrong and Ed Lockwood. Um, and it was a class of 100 people. And John was sitting in the back of the room taking notes. So I, I don't know that I could have been more nervous in that situation than I was. Um, but it was a great opportunity for me to um, start teaching at the national level and I've been teaching now since then. Um, I've grown kind of my reach in terms of both levels. Um, I was on the strategic planning committee for the NIAAA for the poor strategic plan and currently sit as the credentials chair for the NIAAA and am a mentor for one of the current um, leadership cohorts that we have going on. So really just continuing to have an influence and have an impact on athletic administrators in our country. Well, I think the takeaway is, you know, number one, that willingness uh, to get involved and uh, at the same time, you know, uh, uh, doing the, the very best that you could. I know that uh, you're one of our presenters this past spring at our state conference when our conference was canceled. We went virtual and uh, I called you up and uh, you very graciously agreed to do a workshop and it was fantastic. Um, you mentioned the cohort. Uh, which is one of the newest uh, professional development opportunities uh, the NIAAA has developed. And you and I were uh, fortunate enough to be part of that very first uh, cohort class, and now cohorts two and three are going on. Uh, just from a personal standpoint, you know, describe for our listeners, uh, you know, briefly what the cohort model was, the initial one, and maybe talk about uh, or just share um, how that was a value, uh, valuable experience for you. Um, absolutely. Thanks, Jake. And I truly enjoyed our time together in the cohort. I would say um, it was a tremendous, tremendous experience with a great group of individuals um, that really challenged you to bring out the best in yourself in how, you know, looking at how we do what we do as athletic administrators. And I think um, for me personally, the challenge was, you know, as you can hear from some of the story that I've already shared, I wanna be great. I want to do the work that it takes to work at a high level and then share with other people on how they can get there as well. Um, but forcing yourself the reflective piece inside of the cohort that, you know, only you can do. Um, and, and as a mentor in this current one, I continue to share with the mentees and the, the people that are in the cohort that you're going to get out of it what you put into it. And if you, um, you know, don't take the time and, and do the work, there, there's nobody else holding you accountable. And at the end of the day, it's about a self journey. Um, and I really enjoy that piece of it. And it forces you to really be reflective on the practices and the work that you're doing for kids. What, um, 
uh, and again, our cohort uh, for our listeners, it was, um, you know, 15 athletic directors from across the country. Uh, we met uh, very much through a Zoom conference once a month. Uh, there was work, uh, there was reflection, there was sharing. Um, the theme was leadership, you know, athletic directors as leaders. So Becky, um, how has the cohort that you're involved in now as a mentor, uh, I know the focus is a little bit different. You know, uh, what are some of the changes that you've seen? Um, I think one of the biggest changes in the, in the model, I'm in the alternate model. There is one that's very much like the one we went through. Um, and the one we're going through is um, more guided by our participants. So each month we take that monthly topic that we've um, dove into as a group and one of our um, cohort members presents that topic and how they're doing the things that they're doing around that topic in their school. Um, additionally, one of the things that's part of the cohort is a book study. And I felt that kind of got brushed to the side in our cohort. Um, and so each month, one of our cohort members presents their book and why they think it's a great book for other leaders to read and how impactful that book has been for them. And so I think that's just been a great way to kind of highlight, um, you know, what has made that person into the leader they are. And it kind of gives some insight into who they are and they get to be a little bit vulnerable with what they talk about. Oh, okay. Yeah, I appreciate you sharing that. Um, let's talk about um, your school. You know, you've been... Uh, you've been there for a few years now. Um, what was something that when you first came in that uh, you looked at and said, well, hey, they're doing a real good job, but I think we can do better. Uh, you know, maybe what's an initiative that you helped uh, generate or maybe something brand new that you're particularly proud of? Um, I'll talk about our student leadership program. Um, it was something that they were doing um, before I got here, but it seemed like, and from the feedback I got from coaches and from kids was something that they were just saying they did. So kids would show up to the room, you know, once a month they'd get pizza and mostly they'd eat pizza and be in a room of other student leaders or identified student leaders. And so we've had some really um, great conversations about what it means to be a leader and how to help our kids take that responsibility and, and improve our programs. One of the things that we do struggle with at our school is competitiveness. And you know, we've kind of got that, meh, this is who we are, this is who we're supposed to be, kind of we, we fill that role. Um, and so I've really challenged our kids and our coaches um, on that thinking and what can each one of them individually do to make that better and hold other people accountable for moving us forward and taking some steps forward in competitiveness. And so that's really been something that we, I've used that leadership group to really spur that conversation with our other athletes. How do you think uh, the kids and, and the coaches have uh, responded to this uh, focus on, uh, you know, being more competitive? Um, it's been great. Um, and just the individual conversations that I've had with kids and coaches about it. Um, I think, you know, one of the things I talk about a lot is setting high expectations for people and then supporting them through that process. You know, you can't just say, hey, here's what you should be doing without helping them get there. And so not only are we talking about having those high expectations for what we're doing inside and outside of sport, but also then giving them the tools that they need to get there um, and supporting them along the way. Let's go and talk about COVID. Sure. Uh, okay. You knew it was coming. Um, um, what were some, there's kind of two parts to this question. Uh, what were some things that um, you did this past spring at Round Lake um, when we lost sports? Um, what'd you do with your kids and your coaches? And then now, 
understanding that uh, there's still a lot of unknowns, you know, mm -hmm. uh, you know, state associations and uh, CDC and everything else. Uh, but what are your current plans for, you know, reopening both school-wise and sports-wise? Um, so initially in the spring, I'll tell you, you know, I think nobody expected it to be longer than, you know, we went out two weeks before spring break and it was kind of like, okay, we'll be out till spring break and we're going to come back. Um, and so initially, I don't know that there was a ton that we were all doing because it was like, okay, we'll just be back. So our coaches were staying in contact with our kids um, and doing some things. And even then we were saying we shouldn't be doing Zoom workouts. We should just be, you know, reaching out for that social emotional support for our students. Um, and as that progressed, we certainly... Um, transitions to um, what can we offer them <clears throat> to be active and to have those you know those calls and so our coaches were doing a, a great job of staying connected with our kids checking in on them having that support and also talking to them about their academics you know in Illinois it was very easy to say I don't have to do anything else if I was okay with my grade <clears throat> our state board of education said their grades could not get worse from March 13th on and so if a kid had an A in a class what was the end you know the advantage of doing the work um, and so having those conversations and having those connections with kids to still demand their best from them um, when it's easy to just shut down and, and take the easy road. Um, you know, so that was that was the role that we played for our student athletes. Um, and we certainly had kids who struggled. You know, there's there's a whole lot that we as a school provide our students outside of athletics um, from you know, that social emotional support to being a safe place for them to be away from their homes. Um, there's, there's so many things that we talk about. And so making sure that our coaches really took that um, responsibility and um, made sure our kids felt still connected to school when we weren't here. Um, yeah, going forward, um, we're, we, we just heard from our state association um, late last week what our plan is for um, the fall. We have five sports in Illinois that are gonna start on Monday. Um, and that is boys and girls cross country, girls swimming, girls tennis, and one more, why can't I think of it? Maybe it's one, two, three, four. Maybe it's just four. Oh, golf, boys and girls golf, sorry. They're all gonna go on Monday. Um, and so trying to navigate that, what that looks like, they can also compete. Um, and so we're at a threshold of 50 individuals in any setting. Um, and so trying to navigate that piece, we are still waiting on sport specific guidance from our association to see what that's gonna look like in terms of competition and you know, cross country at, at our schools of sport where we have 60 to 80 to 100 kids out. And this year without having football and some other sports competing with it, we might have more kids who wanna participate. And so that's certainly gonna be um, a challenge for us as we wanna ensure the safety of everybody involved, but also get kids to participate knowing that that's what they have right now. Um, our school district is full remote to start the school year and we won't be back. Um, the earliest we could be back would be October 1st. Um, but it could potentially be longer than that. So um, we'll be doing this from a full remote situation and we know we've got challenges that we're gonna face with our kids, just getting to practice, getting to games, um, you know, doing the things that we need them to do on a daily basis. You know, it's one thing to sign up for camp and okay, if I can't go Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday, okay, I missed camp. Now you're in season and what does that look like? And those, so just some, some very new landscapes for our coaches to navigate. Cross country is traditionally a non cut sport and we've already started that conversation is this a year we may have to potentially cap participation in a sport that's been um, a non-cut sport for us so we might have some of those conversations we're going to see how registration goes we know we have families that aren't um, comfortable yet sending their kids back for sports so it could just you know um, kind of even itself out um, and I think just you know one other thing we've been doing 
to try and navigate this whole thing is our high school association has been very open to meeting with us as a um, AD association. So we've been doing weekly Zoom calls with them. Um, and so our PD team in, for our state association um, for athletic administrators has been coordinating that meeting with our state high school association on a weekly basis to answer questions that we have, navigate through this so that we're all on the same page as we, we do this return to sports. So it's been that's been really positive as well. Wow, that's uh, quite a change. What uh, what's happening with volleyball uh, and uh, football? So we normally play boys soccer, volleyball, girls volleyball, and football in the fall as well. Um, they are now in our fall two season, which is tentatively scheduled to start February fifteenth. And for those of you in Florida who don't know, um, it is really cold here in February. <laughs> Um, and the ground is frozen and it's definitely going to be interesting. Um, the, the dates beyond this fall season are subject to change, um, obviously, as we continue to navigate the um, numbers of cases for COVID in our state and in our area. Um, and so it could be, those could be changed, but I am not looking forward to like, I think football games start like March 3rd or 5th or something like that. And I don't do cold all that well, so <laughs> it's going to be interesting. Uh, Football in uh, February, March in Florida, that wouldn't be so bad. It'd be, no, uh, it wouldn't. But I'm thinking we're not playing under the lights on Friday night. That sun goes down and whew, it's cold. Right. Um, also this past spring, um, across the nation, we saw an increased awareness in the area of uh, social issues, social consciousness. Um, what are some things, in your opinion, that we as athletic administrators, what can we do better uh, with our kids, with our coaches um, in this particular area? I think first and foremost, it's starting a conversation. It's being willing to jump into a conversation that might be uncomfortable, where you might not know what to say, um, and, and getting in and being vulnerable in that conversation. Um, we did that with our co combined cohorts um, about a month ago. We led that conversation. We had Dr. Lisa Langston on with us um, and led a conversation about, you know, what that looks like and what challenges that we face. And I think sometimes it's just, um, you know, I know personally it's a fear of saying something that might offend somebody unintentionally. Um, and so we don't, we ignore as instead of talk about it. And I think that's certainly um, the first, first step. Um, and then be educated. You know, one of the things I challenged the cohorts to was to look at, um, there's some stuff out there on um, implicit bias and just learning about yourself and, and how you approach life is gonna be helpful to navigating some of those conversations as well. And so um, really I think it's education and being willing to, to start conversations and have those conversations um, because, you know, especially because a lot of this has happened while our kids have been away from us, we haven't had these conversations. And, you know, they, they may come back to us differently than when they left us. And they may be thinking about you or I or other people in our district differently than they did when they were here with us. Um, because they don't know how we navigated these current situations either. And so, um, you know, I think open up, welcome them with open arms. There was a protest in our area. I was there. Um, you know, and I think showing them support and that we're with them and we want to have that conversation, I think is going to be really key to starting to make some headway. You know, it's such an important point. And you mentioned uh, Dr. Lisa Langston uh, actually had her as a guest um, uh, last week. And, you know, awesome. Lisa and I knew each other from uh, our early days on certification. And uh, when I asked her this particular question, 
uh, you know, she said pretty much the same thing, but then she started to relate a story of when she was on the uh, track team at Texas A&M uh, and how the team had stopped at a restaurant and they were all eating and that one of her teammates, uh, who happened to be a, a white uh, male, uh, leaned over to her and, and just said, you know, we're not being uh, served uh, uh, as well as we should be, uh, you know, because we have blacks and whites at the, at the same table. And it was, you know, it was, she told it much better than I'm telling, but sure. uh, the next day she sent me an email and she thanked me for asking the question. And she said that she had not thought of that or remembered that story in over 30 years. And mm -hmm. so again, it works both ways, you know, having those conversations. So appreciate you sharing that. Uh, let's go and shift gears a little bit. Um, what are some of your favorite parts of being the athletic director at Round Lake? What gets you excited about coming to work each day? Um, I think it's the relationships with kids um, and impact, having an impact in their lives. Um, and, and I've been at a couple of schools um, in my career. And I'll just, just share a quick story. Um, this is my going into my second year at Round Lake and I the school I left um, I had some students I was really close with on my student leadership team um, and it's always hard it's always hard to to move on to a different school when you've got those kids um, that you know look up to you count on you um, and so one of the things I'm involved with in our state is I'm on our um, state high school association sports um, sportsmanship committee and every every other year we put on a student leadership summit and it's run by students who are also on that committee for students. So we meet separately and they run it and they put together the content. Um, and it's a really great opportunity. It's free for anyone in our state member schools to participate in. Um, and she is the student I nominated to be on that committee um, from our division. Well, she didn't know I was coming. And so I showed up in the room, in the workroom the night before it happened and she was doing her work and I just came in and did my thing and she saw me and she jumped up from what she was doing. She ran over and jumped up in my arms and just hugged me. And so, you know, you, you can't take away those moments um, and the impact that we have in students' lives. And I think that for me, and I could probably tell you 50 more as you could probably tell me the same, um, but I think it's, it's that, it's knowing that you've made a difference for somebody and you, you know, for some kids, you've changed their course of their lives and their careers. Um, by some of the things that we do and the programs we put forward for kids. And so I think that's probably, for me, the most rewarding part of the job. Oh, no, absolutely. And again, uh, what other job can you get those types of uh, experiences and get paid for it? Yeah, right. <laughs> so, uh, no, it's great stuff. Well, Becky, uh, this has just been uh, wonderful. I appreciate you sharing your time with us, but we're not done yet. Okay. Uh, our final segment we call the Athletic Director's Toolbox. Okay. Uh, you are being tasked with sending out a brand new athletic director to the very first job, but I'm only going to let you put three things in their toolbox. Okay. What three items are going to go in Becky Moran's Athletic Director Toolbox? Uh, first and foremost, to take care of yourself. Um, I think that that I know that that's probably not a tool that you want in there, but it's it's a reminder um, that you that we can't do everything. Um, I actually just texted my husband today and said, 
you know, it, I'm, I'm exhausted. I'm, being everything for everybody is getting, is getting old um, and not old. I love what I do. And I, like I said, I don't say no, Jake, you know that about me. Um, and so, but it's that it's find the time to take care of yourself. And honestly, when we're done here, I'm going to go hit our weight room here because I'm not going back to our local gyms yet. So, um, but it, it's that it's find the time to take care of yourself. That's one. That's one. Ready for number two. Um, number two, there are no elves coming to do your work overnight. So what you leave on your desk will be there when you get back in the morning. Um, it's okay to go home. It's okay to go home when there's still work on your desk. Um, because like I said, nobody's coming in to do it for you and it'll be there when you get back. Um, and number three is when you're having a hard day, um, things don't go your way. You got an angry parent call, your administrators are mad at you, whatever it might be. Um, go out and watch kids do what they do. Go out and watch a practice. Go out and watch a freshman practice. Just watch them love doing what they're doing. And it just grounds you back to why we do what we do every day. And so those would be my three that I would stick in my toolbox. I know those aren't actual tools, but it's more about, um, you know, making it through the day sometimes. And so those would be my tools. I'm sure other people put other tools in there. So the box is full of great ideas. There's mine. No, you are wrong. Those are great tools. And uh, again, it shows the heart that you have, uh, you know, for the job and for that person you're sending out there. Great, great advice. Well, thanks again. Uh, we're going to be seeing each other, uh, you know, soon at the state coordinators meeting uh, virtually. I was going to say and, seeing each uh, other this way, but you know, nonetheless. You know, Definitely hoping to uh, see you again in person in December uh, when you come down to Tampa for our national conference. Uh, fingers crossed. Fingers crossed, for sure. Okay. Well, Becky, thank you so much. Good luck with the uh, reopening. And to our listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. Come back again next time for another edition of the Educational AD. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Educational AD podcast. I want to remind you that the Zoom recording of this interview is also available on YouTube on the Educational AD channel. Thanks again for listening.